Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. You may be seated. As you turn to Psalm 8, it is printed in the bulletin on page 11, but as you look there, I have to say I'm only mildly offended that Larry didn't get the memo. My daughter has changed this to preaching cape, not preaching robe. And so there was a mistake the other week where it fell and she ran to me and said, your preaching cape fell on the floor. So this is a cape, I will have you know. Psalm 8. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of God for the people of God. The worst part of becoming an adult, and so for you children who remain in here, I want you to hear this, and I want you to stay away from it. The worst part of becoming an adult is the loss of a sense of wonder. A failure to to stand in awe of the things of which we ought to stand in all, you know the you know the phrase familiarity breeds contempt, right? We see things and we see them so often that we that we no longer stand back and just stand in awe. I'll give you an example. I I love the mountains. 
Actually, really, I love any hill with trees and some grass. Jen laughs at me all the time because I'll be driving and I'll point out a mundane scene with a hill and some cows and some grass and, 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 and I love it. But, but here's the reality. I, I went to Bible college in the mountains and my first time driving up there, I was just in awe. And for several reasons, we had to come home on the weekends. They wouldn't let us stay in the dorms. Pranks got out of hand. By I was not involved. By several people, pranks got out of hand. And so they're like, that's it. You can't stay here on the weekends. Get home. I had to anyway because I had to work. And so driving back and forth, by about a month and a half end, I didn't even see them anymore. We lose a sense A sense of awe. What what about you this morning? You come, here you are, gathered together to worship the God of all the earth. Maybe this is old hat. You've been in church all your life. Your parents made sure you were there. You were drugged there every time the doors were open. And, and maybe, maybe the Bible, maybe the, the word that comes to you from the Scriptures as you come to it, maybe to you it has become less than awe-inspiring. Maybe you've stopped at the wonder of it. Psalm 8 is to recalibrate that for us. It is given to to bring us back from our loss of wonder, to to bring us back from when the hard knocks of life and the the reality of, of living in a sinful, fallen world make us callous. It's to bring us back so that we don't We don't lose our wonder at who God is and what He has done for us. David draws us back. He he wants us to have this, this holy wonder at God's greatness in creation and His condescension and His and His redemption toward us. The Psalm rightly taken, ought to cause us to wonder at Christ. You say, well, how so? It seems pretty generic and vague. Well, here's where we lose wonder. It becomes old hat to us if we don't make the connections that all the rest of Scripture makes. This psalm, in at least three places, by the New Testament and by Jesus Himself in in the first place, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus Himself takes this psalm and applies it to Himself. And then you get it in Hebrews, and you get it in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, they take it and they apply this to to Christ, and and it ought to draw us to a sense of wonder at our God. Who He is and what He's done. And so as we look at Psalm 8 this morning, I want us all to prayerfully ask God to give to us, to let us regain that wonder and awe that we have in Christ, in His creation, in His worship, in His redemption. And so we're going to take it up in four points this morning. Four points. We're going to see that this psalm calls us to wonder at His name. To wonder 
in His worship. To wonder at His creation and to wonder at His redemption. To wonder at His name. To wonder in His worship. To wonder at His creation. And to wonder at His redemption. Why His name? Why why ought the name of the Lord cause you to come up short, to stop and to, to, as it were, gaze afresh every time you take it on your lips? Well, you see it here twice in this psalm, don't you? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Twice, verse 1 and verse 9. And if you're paying attention, careful attention, you notice twice that the word Lord is used, but it's different. Right? Verse 1, O Lord, our Lord. Look at it carefully. All of your Bibles, I'm sure, have that first one being in all caps and the second one not. And in the verse 9, the same thing. Well, you understand that when you see... When you see that, that name in all caps, it's talking about the covenant name of God, Jehovah. Some go for Yahweh. I'm a traditionalist and I have my reasons why I think Jehovah is to be preferred, but this is not a lesson on that. This is just to draw, draw you into the name. That every time you say, Lord, you ought to be coming up short. You ought to, again, remember all that it entails. The first one is His covenant name. The second one is the title. The Lord of all things. The Master of all. Adonai. And so you get it, don't you? Oh, Jehovah, our Adonai, wants you to come. When you are speaking of His name, you are, you, are to, you are to remember all that comes behind it. It is the name by which He reveals Himself as our, our covenant-keeping, covenant-making God, who for the children of Israel, when they were on their way out of Egypt, Moses said, look, it is the same Lord who promised to Abraham. He hasn't changed His promise is being fulfilled. It is Jehovah, our God. And so David now calls on that name and he sets it before us that we too, we too will stand in wonder at this name. And so David is in awe as he is brought to remember this name, this covenant faithful God, the name of our God stresses His faithfulness, His unchangingness or immutability, His power, His glory, His majesty, and the fact that He and all of His promises are more sure than your next breath. He won't change. You will. He will never die. He he is eternal. He has always been. You will die, but He will maintain you. His promises are sure. He is sure. And so then, you get it, don't you? You get that this, this name is set before us to make us wonder. Names in the Bible are not like names to us. Most of the time, names to us are just pretty sounds. We like, 
We like the way the syllables run together. We, we try to just get it just right. But, but in the scripture, you know, names tell us more. They tell us about the one. And so think about this psalm. This is the one that Jesus applies to himself. Think about it. As Christ is named throughout the scripture, he's given many names. Lord is but one. But Lord, Jehovah, that is Christ. Think about all those names, how this how the names of God ought to draw us in and cause us to wonder. Think about Christ's names. Isaiah chapter 9, you get four of them, don't you? Right there in a brief span. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Scripture goes on and calls Christ the Great Shepherd, the Pearl of Great Price, the Bright and Morning Star, Alpha and Omega, Emmanuel, Jesus. And when you think of the name of Jehovah, when you think of your Lord, are you, are you stopped? You come in awe before this one, or have you just gotten to where you pass by? It's old hats. Pray that the Lord will give you grace to regain wonder at His name, but also in His worship. Verse 2, Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Do you wonder in His worship? You wonder... In his worship, think about it for a moment. Do you remember where this is used by Jesus? Of himself in the New Testament? Think for a moment of his earthly ministry. Jesus, Jesus is coming in and those, those, those children, they, they gather around him. They see his miracles and they, they cry out in the temple, don't they? Hosanna to the Son of David. And it was a testimony against those who would come against our Jesus and deny Him as He is the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of all things. And Think about it. Instead of awe and wonder, those religious leaders, as they saw His miracles, as they saw His healing, as He, as he entered the temple and the blind and the lame were made to walk and to see. And instead of bowing down, well, they are stiff-necked, aren't they? They're hard-hearted and, and calloused. And they oppose Him, but, but the children... They saw and they worshipped and they received him by faith and they were rightly in wonder and awe for his person and his work and they couldn't contain his praise. And, and what about you this morning? You, you gather here. Are you in awe? 
When, when you sit in the mornings or the evenings and you, and you have your Bible before you and you, you are saying, this is time that I am going to commune with my Lord, are you in awe as you draw near? Or have you come simply to think of Scripture as old hat? You, you've, stopped, you've stopped thinking about it, drawing you near to God, and, and you think about it as something you have to check off. You're in danger. You're in danger at that moment. You're approaching it like those Pharisees. You're using it as something to gain favor with God. If, if you are not asking Him to draw you near to Himself in wonder at who He is, you are in danger of using it like those Pharisees as a club and a bludgeon over your head and over the heads of others. If you are not asking God to draw you in and to bring you to worship and to awe and to praise. And what we need sometimes is not necessarily, yes, yes, it is good to read through the Bible every year. Absolutely go for it. But sometimes what we really need is to slow down and to ask God to refresh us, to, to keep us, to give us a sight of who He is and His glory, to give us understanding and faith like a child that would show us wonder and awe and draw us in. Those religious leaders were true legalists. They were, they were indignant when they should have been in awe too. And so Jesus corrects them using this very verse. And so we need to approach his worship with wonder and awe, asking us to show us rightly who he is. What about wonder in his creation? You get it there in, in verse 3, and, and you, you notice something different, don't you? Most of the time when the Psalms speak of God's creation, it does, speaks including the sun, doesn't it? The brightness of the sun. And yet here in verse 3, some have speculated David just went out of his tent. Or maybe he was out watching the sheep. And he looks up and he's overcome. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. You've all done that, right? It's hard to do around here. We have a lot of light pollution. But there are times when you get out and you're away from the city lights and away from the suburban lights and you are out in the country. I remember it being, being in Mbali on a missions trip some almost 20 years ago, well, 15 years ago. I'm going to make myself older than I am. 15 years ago, where... Where for about 24 hours, the power would just shut off. And I remember before coming here, we were disappointed. We went out to, to Big Bend, which is supposed to be the best place in all of the United States to see the stars, and it was cloudy. But, but in Mbali, where there was nothing, 
And all the lights were out. There, unless you had a generator, there were none. And generators are not easy to come by. And you look up. And you get a true glimpse of what it meant when God promised Abraham, if you can count the stars of the heavens, then you can count your offspring. So shall your offspring be. And so here's David. He, he goes out without light. And there is nothing to make you feel as small as seeing how great that, that sky, that starry expanse that seems to go on forever. And your, your eyes cannot take you to the ends of them. And so here, here this psalm pulls us back. And yes, it makes us remember and makes us remember the promise to Abraham but beyond that it draws us beyond those stars to our creator listen to what Thomas Chalmers said there is much in the scenery of a nocturnal sky to lift the soul to pious contemplation that moon and these stars what are they they are detached from the world and they lift us above it. We feel withdrawn from the earth and, and rise in lofty abstraction from this little theater of human passions and human anxieties. The mind abandons itself to reverie and is transferred in the ecstasy of its thought to distant and unexplored regions. It sees nature in the simplicity of her great elements and it sees the God of nature invested with the high attributes of wisdom and majesty. Do you still wonder at his creation? How perfect it is? Any closer to the sun and we'd burn up. Any further away and we would freeze. Do you wonder at how grass grows? How weeds grow? How things grow? And you don't even see it. You pluck a weed one day and the next there's some little sprout. And you, you could swear you'd gotten them all. You plant corn and there's nothing. The dirt is overturned and one day you come out and there's something. And the next day you come out and, and it's up to your knees and you don't know what, how it happened. Have you forgotten wonder? The psalm says to you, stop for just a moment and see how gloriously wise, how gloriously perfect the plan of God is. Even in a fallen creation that is groaning. Awaiting redemption. Imagine Everest in an unfallen world. Imagine your garden in an unfallen world. Well, you've got beauty and glory in a fallen one. Wonder at the perfect plan of God. And then lastly... And the, the bulk of the psalm, wonder at his redemption. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower 
than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. If there's anything that ought to cause you to to come up short, to sit in perplexity, in wonder, in awe, even above, above creation. It's redemption. It's redemption. Yes, go explore and see the world, observe nature. It's all glorious to His praise, but above that is redemption. It's something so glorious that the deaf can hear about it. It's so glorious that the blind can see it. It's the redemption accomplished by Christ. Think for just a moment, as one man said, how does redemption exceed the work of creation? Well, when God created the universe, He simply spoke it into existence by His Word. However, it was not so with redemption. God couldn't just speak redemption into existence with a word. The Apostle John tells us in John 1.14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In order to accomplish our redemption, God became man. In order to accomplish our redemption, Jesus had to take upon Himself human flesh and to live a perfect life according to the law of God and to make atonement on the cross for the sins of His people. And He had to rise from the dead. Do you wonder at this? It's truly awesome. We use that word in our day rather flippantly. We just use it when we mean it's something that we like. But it's truly awesome and awful. The redemption accomplished by God. And by that I mean it ought to cause you to come up short in wonder and in awe. And that's exactly the use for us in Hebrews chapter 2. When we get to Hebrews 2 and, and we see what the, the writer of Hebrews is doing there. He is saying that it is something phenomenal, something glorious that God is doing in order to accomplish redemption. That Jesus is greater than the angels. And so God made him like us in order to redeem us. And so in verse 5, for it was not to the angels of Hebrews chapter 2, for it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. And you see, it's Christ who accomplishes redemption. And so then, in verse 16, 
Well, let's go to 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. This psalm is meant to strike us with wonder and awe. That same wonder and awe that Paul writes about in Philippians 2. That at the the name of Jesus every knee would bow. Because he who was in the very form of God didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself and took to himself the form of a servant. And it ought to make us bow now in adoration. That's what David wants us to do. It's what all of Scripture wants us to do. To see who God is and what He has done for us in Jesus Christ and to adore Him. What about you this morning? Are you in awe of this God? Or have you lost it? Is it old hat to you? Or does it still fill you with wonder? Perhaps you've lost that sense of awe through the callousness of your sin. You're backslidden. You have followed along for a while, but some sin has gripped you and... And you have lost that one. Yes, you go through the motions. You, you're just as fine as those Pharisees on the outside. You, you go through the motions, but your, your heart is far from this place this morning. Ask Him to give you that awe. Ask Him to restore that wonder. Perhaps you're callous because you've just been giving it a legal reading. You read your Bible every day. You've read through it ten times in the last ten years. And you check those boxes. But you've yet to stop and meditate on this one. Meditate on this word. Think about what it's saying. And to take it in. Don't be hard soil. Don't be rocky soil. Don't let the cares of this world choke it out. Let it fall there in that soil and ask God to work it under. Or maybe you're not in wonder because you don't know this Lord. And you don't know the, the great steps that He's taken to redeem lost people You don't know that your sin has separated you from Him. And you don't know the end to those 
who don't know Him. That Philippians passage said that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. But that wasn't talking about now. That's talking about another day. The day in which Christ would return. And if you do not bow the knee now to Him, you will be made to bow then. And it will not be It will not be willingly. It will be fearfully. Oh, this day, look to Him. Ask Him to give you wonder and awe no matter where you are on that spectrum. Whether you don't know Him or whether you've been hardened in your sin. And if you do know it, we'll praise Him for it and ask Him for yet more. That the seed which is yielding 30 will yield 60. And the seed which is yielding 60 will yield a hundredfold in your heart to make you love Him more. I'm going to close with this prayer. It's from a book I've never read, but I've seen the prayer all over the place. Uh, The book is called Ragamuffin Gospel. But hear this prayer from it. Dear Lord, grant me the grace of wonder. Surprise me, amaze me, awe me in every crevice of your universe. Delight me to see how your Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. Each day enrapture me with your marvelous things without number. I do not ask to see the reason for it all. I ask only to share the wonder of it all. Amen.